Does anybody recognize the name Bethany Hamilton? Does it sound familiar? Yeah? She's been in the spotlight for almost 20 years now. And I think that you're going to agree with me by the time we're done here today that she and her story continues to shine. Bethany was a 13-year-old up-and-coming surfing champ when on October 31st, 2003, she went out on the waves one beautiful Saturday morning in Kauai, Hawaii, where she lived. And while she was lying on her board, casually dangling her arm in the water as she waited for a wave, a 14-foot tiger shark swam up, bit once, and disappeared taking off her left arm just below the shoulder. After losing nearly two-thirds of her blood supply, her life and her future in surfing were anything but guaranteed. Surfing with one arm is a tall order, and doing so professionally, nearly impossible. But when you combine unthinkable passion unrelenting resilience and the desire to fulfill lifelong goals, the impossible seems a little more feasible. In one of the first interviews after the attack, and I remember this very clearly because she was still in the hospital when she did this, um, she told the Associated Press that she would surf again despite her loss. And less than a month later on Thanksgiving Day, she returned to the water. And 10 weeks after that, in January of 2004, she returned to the surfing competition. And a year later, in 2005, she won the Scholastic Surfing Association National Championship for the 18 and under age group. She made her world tour debut in 2009, and her best result was coming in 2016, not that long ago, when she beat the six-time world champion, Stephanie Gilmore, as well as the number one champ at the time, Tyler Wright, at the Fiji Women's Pro. That's pretty big, huh? Since then, the now wife and mother of two boys has gone on to write several books, but her first was when she was just 14. And it's an autobiography entitled Soul Surfer in which she chronicled her experiences. Because see, way back then, in that year after that life-changing moment for her, Bethany made the choice to use her experience to become an inspiration and to help others overcome adversity no matter how great. And she writes, people I don't even know come up to me. I guess they see me as a symbol of courage and inspiration. One thing hasn't changed, and that's how I feel when I'm riding a wave. It's like, here I am. I'm still here. It's still me and my board in God's ocean. It's still me and my board in God's ocean. What a great line, right? And so that's where we're going to be coming from this morning as we catch our wave to the abundant life, because our theme for this month is inspired by a statement the master teacher Jesus made more than 2,000 years ago from the gospel according to John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come so that you might have life and have it more abundantly, 
or as Ernest Holmes said, and so we prepare not to die, but to live. How many of you know how to surf? On the ocean, I mean, not technologically. Anybody? Nobody? Yeah, most people don't. I tried a few times. Um, My greatest takeaway from those lessons is that I can't breathe liquid. Um, but today, with, with Bethany Hamilton as our role, role model, we're going to look at the idea of surfing as a metaphor for living an abundant life. And just like most of us don't know how to surf, most of us really don't know how to be abundant in every area of our lives either, right? We all have to learn. And that's why we're here, seeking greater knowledge and understanding. So we're going to look at four primary ideas from surfing that can serve us today. One, point your surfboard toward the shore. That's important. Two, start paddling. Three, practice catching the waves that come along. And four, be willing to take the risk. Okay, so first step one, point your surfboard toward the shore. In other words, get in position. Know where you're going. What does the abundant life mean to you? Take a moment to reflect. What does it truly mean to you? What does it look like in every way, in every area of your life? What does that abundance look like? Figure out what it is and get a mental equivalent of that. Give yourself a vivid, detailed picture. Remember what I said, once you have built that in your mind, you can always go back to it. So build that. On page 271 of the Science of Mind, Ernest Holmes tells us to spend time every day seeing that which we wish to experience. He says, if day by day we have a greater understanding and a clearer concept If daily we are realizing more of truth and applying it in our actions, then we are on the right path. It is a wonderful experiment and a great adventure to make conscious use of the law, to feel that we can paint an idea in mind and see it gradually take form. The student should take time every day to see their life as they wish it to be to make a a mental picture of their ideal. They should pass this picture over to the law and go about their business with a calm assurance that on the inner side of life, something is taking place. So before the wave comes, we need to be in position. This also means that we need to learn what we need to know now. Release what we need to release now, before the opportunity comes. In fact, so that the opportunity can come. Get in position by opening up to greater and greater and even greater possibilities. Look for them. Why do some people get a whole lot of opportunities and some don't? Because some are looking for them and others cannot yet see. In Lawrence Blair's book, Rhythms of Vision, The Changing Patterns of Belief, Blair refers to an accounting of Magellan's first landing at Tierra del Fuego. The explorers were met by the native people, people isolated 
for centuries by their canoe culture. Though the large hulking ships were in full view of the harbor, the native people were not able to see them. The idea of ships was so far beyond their experience that the physical ships were actually invisible to them. And it wasn't until the shaman, realizing that the newcomers had to have gotten there somehow in something, he pondered and he divined the matter until he was able at last to see the ship. And then the shaman brought it to the attention of the villagers and that the strangers had arrived in something. Something which, although preposterous beyond belief, could actually be seen if one looked very carefully. With gestures and drawings and words, he patiently described the ships in the bay again and again, until the entire tribe could see them. They had to have a mental image of the ships, which defied their concept of reality at the time, in order to perceive them. The Fuegans, lacking experience, familiarity, or history of ships, had no frame of reference, no context, to see the sailing vessels anchored before their eyes until they could understand it, have it discovered and then interpreted to them by their shaman, they were not able to even conceive it visually. They had to have that mental image of the ships, I say again, which defied their concept of reality in order to perceive them. What does that truly say about the power of the mind? Because that's a true story. Ernest Holmes said, could we see the mentality of a successful person, we should find the imprint of success written in bold letters across the doorway of their consciousness. This person is sure of themselves. They're sure of what they are doing, certain of the outcome of their undertakings. As much gathers more, as like attracts like, So success breeds greater success, and conviction is attended by certainty. The whole teaching of Jesus is to have faith and believe. Use your prayer work to start building the mental acceptance of your abundant life. When you see it, you'll believe it. Surfing step two, start paddling. You're in position, you're facing the right direction, you have built up your mental acceptance of your abundance, and now what? Start paddling. Former NBA center and coach Johnny Kerr said his biggest test as a coach came when he coached the then-expanding team, the Chicago Bulls. And his bigger, biggest player then was six foot eight inch tall Erwin Mueller. He says, We had lost seven in a row, and I decided to give a psychological pep talk before the game with the Celtics. I told Bob Boozer to go out and pretend he was the best scorer in basketball. 
I told Jerry Sloan to pretend he was the best defensive guard. I told Guy Rogers to pretend he could run an offense better than any other guard. And I told Erwin Mueller to pretend he was the biggest, best rebounding, shot-blocking, scoring center in the game. We lost the game by 17 points. I was pacing around the locker room afterward, trying to figure out what to say now when Mueller walked up, put his arm around me and said, don't worry about it, coach. Just pretend we won. (laughs) Do we build momentum before the wave or after? We need to build momentum before we need it. We need to start paddling to get our momentum up. Take some action. Build some momentum. Do something to prepare yourself to live your greatest good. Three, practice catching the waves that do come along. There is more than one opportunity in life. Just practice catching some. Once you build your momentum, any wave is an opportunity for you. How many of you have heard that opportunity only comes once? How many have seen two opportunities? Anybody ever seen more than one? Yeah? How many have seen ten in their lives? A hundred? Yeah. So you're waiting for the big wave, right? You have to build your momentum so you are ready for the big opportunity. And there are people who are only waiting for the big one. But the process is that once you have built your momentum, any wave is an opportunity for you. No such thing is a mistake. Ralph Waldo Emerson is often considered to be the father of new thought. And he once said, Our greatest glory isn't in never failing, but in rising up every time we fail. In Building Your Field of Dreams, Mary Manon Morrissey wrote, If you know in your heart of hearts that you have done everything possible to succeed and what you have set your heart upon does not come to pass, then you can trust that something better is trying to happen. God's will is for our greatest good. Sometimes we fail because we have not been diligent enough, persistent enough, or willing enough to do what is required. Other times, we have truly done all that can be done and we still fail. Then our challenge is not to stare longingly at a door that is bolted shut but to find an open window where a guiding light beckons. You have to lean into the new dream, even if you can barely glimpse its outline from where you stand. Move toward the light and lean toward the good. If you become bitter, your capacity to see future opportunities dies with your failed dream. When you stay feeling sorry for yourself, you cannot grow. So practice for the big opportunity by envisioning it. We just did that. 
and persistently, consistently practicing the smaller ones, whatever they look like. And finally, to surfing step four, be willing to take the risk. Is there any risk in surfing? Sure, we can find out we can't breathe liquid. Is there any risk in lying on the board with our arms dangling in the water? Yes, Bethany Hamilton would certainly say yes to that. Yes, there is risk in surfing. There is risk in life. But the biggest risk is when you do nothing. This is where trust comes in in a big way. The scripture at Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12 tells us, do not be anxious how or what you are to answer or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Think about that for a second. How many of you have found yourself in a situation where things were real? Something big was happening, and suddenly you knew exactly what to say to change things. You knew exactly what to do in that moment without even trying. It happens to me all the time, and I've noticed that as I've chosen to become aware of those moments, they're happening more and more and more often as time goes on. So I have to wonder if you guys have had similar experiences And even bigger, I want to know if you trust it when it happens. When you get those impulses, do you act upon them? Because that's the most important part of the whole thing. And here's a good way to understand and remember what trust is. Another easy acronym. I know I throw those out. We like the acronym. So T, totally. R, rely. U, upon. S, Simple T, truth. Trust. Totally rely upon simple truth. So trust means we must totally rely upon the simple truth that God is good all the time. 24-7, there is never a moment that God is not good. So there it is. It's that simple, right? Point your surfboard towards the shore and get in position. Start paddling. You have to build your momentum so you're ready for the opportunity. Catch all the waves. There's more than one opportunity in life. Just practice catching some. Once you build your momentum, any wave is an opportunity for you. Be willing to take the risk. Is there risk? Absolutely. But the biggest risk is when you do what? Nothing. Correct. In the foreword of her book, Soul Surfer, Bethany Hamilton writes, in the end, I'm really proud of what we've written here. I think it's truthful and I hope it inspires and motivates people to tackle any obstacles in their lives. I hope it helps people find faith in God and in their own strength and ability. I hope it motivates someone going through a tough time right now to keep on fighting until they rise above it. You can and will get through it. I'm living proof that where there's a will, there's a way. What I don't want is for people to pity me or think of me as a person who has had her life ruined. That's not how I see it. 
My mom is always saying, if life hands you lemons, make lemonade, which is a great outlook on life if you can actually see beyond the lemons when you're up to your eyeballs in them. My strength came from my relationship with God and from the love and encouragement of my family and friends. In a lot of ways, I was like any 14-year-old girl. And in a lot of ways, I wasn't. I don't pretend to have all the answers to why bad things happen to good people, but I do know that God knows all those answers. I also know that I want to use what happened to me as an opportunity to tell people that God is worthy of our trust and to show them that you can go on and do wonderful things in spite of terrible events that happen. I don't think it does any good to sit around feeling sorry for yourself. I made myself a promise. I'm not going to wallow or walk around moaning, woe is me. One other thing you should know. This book really doesn't have an ending yet because I'm still learning how to cope every day. I'm not talking about learning how to button my top with one hand. I'm talking about coping with being a celebrity. Coping with people's stares, either because they recognize me or because they're not used to seeing a person with one arm running down the beach. Or coping with answering endless questions from the media and seeing my face in newspapers and magazines. I'm also learning to cope with the frustration of knowing that if I had both arms to paddle, I might have done just a little better in a surf contest that I've been in. I'm excited about some of the opportunities to travel and surf all around the world that have come as a result of my attack and return to surfing. But most of all, I'm excited about what the future holds. Will I make it to the pro ranks in surfing? Will my lifelong friend and surf buddy Alana be paddling next to me in the years to come as she is now and was during the attack? Will I be able to make a difference in some small way in people's lives by sharing my story? What does God have in store for me? I really don't know. But I do know one thing for certain. The adventure has only just started. Catch your wave, my friends. Catch your wave. Because the adventure to the abundant life which Jesus promised has only just started. Thank you.